Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad that you're here. Uh, Bucks in seven. Anyways, that's a good day in Milwaukee, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Summer's a good season, all 22 days that we get of it. Um, Hey, uh, we just realized uh, I spent, uh, it's been six years on staff here, and so it reminded me of this story that happened shortly after I started. Uh, We were at the West Allis Christmas Parade, uh, probably just shy of six years ago. It was the year, if you remember, where Pastor Frank was a wise man and he got to ride on a camel. If any of you were there, I think we've got a picture of it. (laughs) I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there, just seeing Frank on a camel. There we are. Well, four kids, but they're much younger, right? And so JD, uh, who would have, you know, just maybe been six or something like that, uh, got separated from us in the middle of the parade. And so it's dark. There's, there's lights on the, on the floats. There's lights around. But the whole area where the parade and all the people walking in the street, it's all dark. And so we really didn't have a clear view. And so, uh, of course, whenever a child goes missing, you kind of just get this, this sense of panic, right? And so... Uh, my wife kind of freaked out. Uh, I think that's the calmest way to <laughs> explain it, right? Um, but, but panic sets in. And so we started looking around, and the problem was we didn't know where he was. He could be further up in the parade and separated from us. He could be further down in the parade and separate. He could have gone on one of the side streets. Something could have happened to him. And as we looked out, we realized that it was a, an impossible, almost hopeless situation because there was all of these people in this crowd, but nothing was lit up, so you couldn't see anybody. You couldn't make, make anything out. And then my wife kind of grabs me by the arm and she starts pointing. I have no idea what she's pointing at, but she's excited. And then I see it, this little tiny twinkling light. Because two weeks before, he had insisted that we buy him those light-up shoes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those little heel light-up shoes. And he's going back and forth. You can tell he's looking for mom. And then, of course, she runs to him, scoops him up. There's this happy reunion. Because sometimes, in the middle of a dark situation, all we need is a little bit of light, right? Just a little bit of light will do. We don't need all the light in the world, but sometimes we just need a little bit of light. Same is true in the ancient world, right? Light, light wasn't this kind of common commodity. You had the light of the sun, you had the light of the moon, maybe light of a lamp. But sometimes people, all they needed was just the light of a few stars to guide their way, to, to lead them on their journey, to navigate by. And so when Jesus in our passage today says, I am the light of the world, it has some implications for us. And, and we're going to walk our way through this section. Bible that you brought with you, Bible in front of you or Bible on your smartphone, John chapter 8, we're going to be picking it up in verse 12. John chapter 8, and you can just leave that open on your lap because we're just going to work our way through until the end of uh, verse 30 today. And it's part of this dialogue that Jesus is in, and it's a continuation of the Feast of Booths that we were in last week, and we're going to be in this dialogue that he has with the Jewish leaders for a couple of two, three weeks. Um, But I want to make some observations as we go through. The first observation is that Jesus is the light of creation. Jesus is the light of creation. Verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Jesus was just talking about water, right? And and springing up a well with inside of us and us being a source of water. And we were looking at that. And it kind of seems like it's coming out of nowhere, but we'll, we'll make the connection in a second. Verse 13, 
So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. It sets up kind of almost a a courtroom scene where we're going to see Jesus actually as the prosecutor. You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one implied according to the flesh. Yet even if I do or when I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. He's listing his two witnesses. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. John reminds us with this phrase, the hour, which is the hour of Jesus' crucifixion, his torturous death at the hands of the Roman perpetrated by this plot that these very people are kind of stirring up to arrest him and crucify him. Of course, just we saw before this, they sent some people to arrest him and the guards they sent to arrest him came back and said, we're not arresting him. Nobody's ever taught like this. We're pretty sure he's the Messiah. And so we see this escalation now. The Sanhedrin, this group of Jewish leaders, is coming directly and they're interfacing and having this direct conflict with Jesus. And Jesus starts with, I am the light of the world. The context, if, if you go back, is the beginning, literally the beginning, but the beginning of John. Remember, John is, is drawing our attention to this new creation theme. And he begins with this hymn, this poem, this prologue that really serves as the table of contents and it kind of, is the, kind of sets us up and lets us see everything that is going to happen in the ministry of Jesus. And so John says, in the beginning was the word. That's Jesus. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. Right? We've seen this theme of life kind of even play out through the book of Uh, John so far and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and it's this beautiful picture as we see this darkness this plot right the 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 plot to kill Jesus trying to overcome him we we see the sin and, and the chaos in the world trying to overcome the light but Jesus as the light of the world cannot be overcome because darkness cannot overcome light And Jesus is the light of creation. John has this new creation theme. He begins, John, just like the book of Genesis, in the beginning. And then he kind of traces out these six days of creation. If you missed that part of our series, you can go back and listen to those first couple of sermons. But there's this pattern that John lays out because he's drawing our attention to the fact that Jesus is both the creator of heaven and earth and is also here to do a new work, a new creation in you and I. And so this is part of that. It is He is the light of creation. He also gives his witnesses. Kind of shifting to this courtroom theme, he gives his witnesses. And it also goes back to that prologue. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John is taking us to the very beginning, even before creation, to the time before creation, eternity past. And the only people there, the only person there is God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is saying, 
there's only one other witness, right? You know, I mean, you, kind of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is saying the ministry hasn't started yet. You can talk to my father. And they kind of, they're confused. They're not getting it. In fact, they're confused, they're missing it, they're ignoring it, and they're rejecting it. Kind of the worst of all possible worlds. And John is pointing out that people respond to Jesus in different ways. I don't want us to miss this because what Jesus is saying is entirely important. Notice that the the Jewish leaders aren't asking any questions about light. What do you mean about light, right? Because they stopped after his first two words, I am. Jesus makes seven I am statements in the book of John. They're so important, we've made a a fun graphic that's in the back of your book. You can flip there and find it, and it lists all the references. Anybody who studies the book of John immediately sees this pattern of the seven I am statements. A couple weeks ago, we had one, I am the bread of life. And when Jesus makes this statement, these Jewish leaders are, are basically triggered by his statement, I am. Because again, Jesus is pointing to the Old Testament and he's saying, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're going to see this play out over the the rest of this dialogue. But I don't want us to miss it and it's important that we understand that God has a name. God has a name. For some of you, you, you've known this, maybe even studied it. And scripture obviously gives various names of God, but there's a specific name, the holy name, the covenant name that God reveals and how he chooses to reveal himself. So if you look to any page in the Old Testament, pretty much, you'll see the Lord in all caps. You know, thus saith the Lord, or the Lord spoke to somebody, or the Lord did this, or uh, let's praise the Lord. And the Lord is a placeholder for four Hebrew consonants because they didn't put vowels when they wrote Four Hebrew consonants, without doing too deep of a dive, just pulling it into English, it's Y-H-W-H. And when the Jewish people would read the Old Testament, when they got to the holy name of the Lord, instead of saying the name out loud because of, of reverence and awe and the commandment that specifically says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, instead of saying the holy name, the covenant name of the Lord, they would say Adonai, which is Hebrew for Lord. And so they would just replace it. And that's why we have in our English translation the continuation of that tradition of not writing out or saying the name of the Lord, but replacing it with the Lord. And so there's uh, kind of, you may have heard it pronounced in different ways. Sometimes if you hear people say Jehovah, that is an attempt at pronouncing that holy name. Um, Hebrew has no J sound, so I can just say clearly that's not the right pronunciation. That's just an Englishized version, version of it. Scholars, when they talk about this, there's, there's kind of a general agreement that probably the most likely pronunciation is Yahweh. The covenant, the holy name of the Lord is Yahweh. And so everywhere in the Old Testament where it says the Lord, it's Yahweh said, Yahweh did. We worship Yahweh. And this is important to understand because that very name is basically like the verb for being turned into a name. That it's emming or ising or wasing or being. This is why when God reveals himself to Moses in the burning bush and he says, who will I say sent me? What does God say? Tell them I am sent you. 
Pastor Ed's going to do a deeper dive on that in a couple of weeks, actually. And so I don't want you to miss it, that when Jesus stands up in these prophetic moments, he, lo- he stands in front of the people of God and he declares, I am the light of the world. We gloss over the I am, but we shouldn't. Because again, Jesus is saying, I am the light of creation. Nothing was made that was not made through Jesus. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And they didn't get it. They ignored it. They rejected it. Jesus, because of that, and is just an aspect of his light, and the aspect of light is the fact that Jesus is also the light of judgment. Jesus is the light of judgment. Let's take a look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? They're not asking this question. They're trying to slander Jesus, right? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. He's going slow. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Light brings exposure and revelation. And when we understand that that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, that that he's all-present, that, it, that it's foolishness for us to try and hide from God, right? But we do, we still do because we have an innate fear of the light of judgment, the exposure that comes with being in the light. Now, I understand that when you're a teenager, if you're still in your early 20s, you, ha- you still like live like the king of the world. I get it, okay? But there comes a certain point in life where you, where you begin to accumulate failures and mistakes things that you're ashamed of, regret, and it builds up and it grows, and you just know. You know that if there's a holy God and he has a holy standard, I don't meet that. And the idea of of God coming and bringing full exposure to our intentions and our sins and, and our worst days causes us sometimes to run, right? There's a There's a natural fear of judgment, this light of exposure. And what Jesus says to them is what's revealed, what he's coming and revealing in these spiritual leaders in this situation is death. He says you, are, you will die in your sins. And so there's kind of this tension or a tense play about the judgment. He's saying I don't have to judge you because you've already been judged. You've been judged You've been found guilty, you've been sentenced, you've been condemned. The condemnation just hasn't been carried out. We have a phrase in English for this, dead man walking, right? I think it was even the title of a movie, I, I forget. But, but it describes this moment where, where you have been tried, convicted, found guilty, sentenced to death, but your execution has not yet been carried out. And Jesus says to this group of spiritual leaders, you're dead men walking, You're dead men walking. Now understand, he is the one who's prosecuting. He knows that they are plotting to kill him. They're rejecting him. Here he is, the Lord of heaven and earth, coming to his people and the leaders of his people, and they are 
rejecting him. They're in open rebellion, plotting to kill him. But even in this situation, notice there is an offer of pardon. Jesus offers pardon. Verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, but read it carefully, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is the light of judgment, but he is also, and I would say primarily, the light of salvation. And the funny thing is, as we see the book of John, that, that when Jesus comes and he reveals, he brings his light, it just, it polarizes people. So here these people are rebelling against him and plotting to kill him. At the end, verse 30 says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus is explaining that he's the light of the world and some people are like, we got to arrest this guy and get him over to the Romans so that they can kill him. And other people are saying, he's the Messiah. And, And the light has a different response because we are responding differently to God and his power and his truth. And the same was true all throughout the book of John and the same is true in our lives. How we respond to the light of God is important. And of course, how we respond depends almost entirely on the intention of someone. And it brings me to the great kind of question in this that that Jesus is about to answer, which is, what is God's intention towards me? And if you've ever thought about a holy God who created everything, who created you, who you'll be accountable for, at some point you have to wrestle with this. What is God's intention with me? What does he think about me? How is he approaching me? What is his posture towards me? Because someone's intention towards us is everything. I want you to just picture for a moment, there's a man standing over you with a knife and you know he's about to slit you open. If he's a mugger, if he's a robber, that's bad news. If he's your surgeon, that's fantastic news. (laughs) His intention matters, right? The intention matters. The intention of the light, the intention of the exposure, the intention of this revelation of us at our worst and us at our best is important. And it brings us to this question, what is the Father's heart towards us? Let's take a look. Because Jesus begins to point towards this, verse 25. So they said to him, who are you? (laughs) They're just, they're still not getting it. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. Just put like a little note there and just say, what beginning? I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true And I declare to the world that I have heard from him. I want to draw your attention. This word world doesn't occur that frequently in Scripture and not that frequently in the book of John. And even when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it should pull you back to the last time that Jesus used this word world world or cosmos, the entirety of creation, which was in chapter 3 when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish 
they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. He's pointing and he's saying, there's going to come this moment where I am lifted up. Jesus keeps pointing to this. And this is what, the, he, in other places he makes clear, this is what the Father sent me to do. This is when the Father is going to speak. I'm speaking now, he's speaking through me. But kind of, it, it's not just his words, it's his actions too. This is going to speak. This is going to reveal the heart of God. And so understand, when we, when we ask this question, what is God's posture towards us? What is God's intention towards us? It's love. It's such grand, sacrificial love that he, he didn't spare his own son, that, that Jesus is saying the whole reason I'm here is to demonstrate, to explain, to make perfect the Father's love for you. And this lifting up that he's talking about is a physical lifting up. They will literally nail him to a, a wooden cross and put a crown of thorns on his head and strip him naked to humiliate him and put him to shame of torture for several hours that he might be on display and Jesus says, it is this sacrifice that is my lifting up, but it also has this double meaning of his glorification, his lifting up in a good way, that it's what the Father sent him to do, that the Father's love might be lifted up and put on full display, that the penalty for our sin, the penalty for our rebellion, the penalty for the darkness on our darkest day has been paid for in full. In fact, that's what Jesus cries out at the end. It's been paid in full. That the heart of the Heavenly Father, when he brings his light, is not painful judgment to expose us, to, to put his finger in our face. But his heart, Jesus says, I'm going to put on full display when he gives his life for us. If you've been wondering, what is God's intention towards me? This is what Jesus is saying. That he is the light of the world. That he is the light of salvation. There's an interesting thing about this pardon idea. Both in scripture and in our legal system. Is that pardons are only pardons when they're accepted. In the 1800s there was actually a, a, an actual law case that went all the way to the Supreme Court. Two men were convicted of robbing the, the, just the newly formed postal service. And they were convicted, it was of a capital crime, and the, the two of them were convicted, and one was already executed. And before the second man was executed, he received a pardon. But then he rejected the pardon. And this case worked its way all the way to, up to the Supreme Court, and there's, I just read it this week, um, I... I Wilson versus Smith or something like that. And the court kind of talked about what a pardon was, that it wasn't an act of the judicial branch, that it was actually an act of the executive branch, that it was almost a personal thing, that it must, in order to be enforced, must be fully delivered, and part of delivery was being received. And so they ruled that because he did not receive and accept the pardon, the pardon was not enforced. And the Bible teaches in, in different ways and in different places that the same is true of this pardon that Jesus offers, right? Unless you believe, he says, you are dead in your sins. 
that you and I are dead women, dead men walking, that our sins have already judged us, that we're, are, we're already condemned. But the good news is that Jesus offers and, and extends this pardon freely. He has already done the work for us. It's not something we do. It's not something we earn. We don't, you know, do enough good things to kind of earn, kind of, you know, erase our mistakes and kind of earn good favor. It is just freely a gift. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what Jesus is explaining here. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The Father's love is demonstrated in sending the light of his Son. You know, my son was lost at the parade. And when I saw the light of his shoes, hope returned. But with God, we are lost. And he sent his Son. And when we see the light of Jesus, even just a small glimpse from a far way off, we can find hope. Our passage today ends with verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And I think they believed in him for the same reason that God stirs up belief in us, is that he loves us. He has good intention for us. He wants to be in relationship with us. And for some of you, this is the first time that you've ever heard that. Or the first time it's really kind of resonated in your heart. And I don't want to leave our passage today without giving you an opportunity. We do this from time to time at Epicos. I'm just going to kind of lead us in a short, simple prayer as we close. And if you have never prayed this prayer, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray something like, Heavenly Father, I understand your love for me. I've, I've, I've sinned against you. I'm going to trust in what Jesus did on the cross, that, that you paid the penalty for my sin and I'm going to trust that he rose again, conquering death and sin, and that all of this is, is a gift that you're offering, a pardon for me, and I'm going to receive it by faith. So let's all join together in an attitude of prayer, kind of with our eyes closed in our own private space with God. If you would like to pray that prayer and turn your life over to God today, to receive his love expressed in this pardon, this light of Jesus Christ, this light of salvation, you can pray just something in your own heart, in your own place, in your own way to God like this. Heavenly Father, I understand your love for me. I know I don't deserve it. I know that I've wronged you. But I'm going to trust that what Jesus did on the cross was payment for my wrong things. Lord, I believe that your light is brighter than the darkness of my sin, all of my sin, and that my darkness can't overcome your light. And I want your light in my life. I invite you in, Lord. I turn my life over to you. Have your way. Lord, I trust in you. With everybody else just kind of looking down, kind of an attitude of prayer, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time today, I just want to kind of connect with you eye to eye and just welcome you to God's family. I'm going to start over here. If you, if you pray that prayer, just look up at me and kind of wave if you don't think that I'm seeing you. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Well, that row, welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family there. In the balcony, I think you're looking at me. Welcome to God's family. Welcome, he's nodding. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Over here on this side, welcome to God's family. Some of you I might not be able to see. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. If I can't see you, know that God sees you. You can have an opportunity to tell us, Lord, we just praise you for new life. 
We come together and we rejoice. You tell us that all of heaven throws a wild party when just one person turns their life over to you. Lord, just give us an ear to hear just a little bit of of that celebration as you rejoice over these, your sons and daughters, turning to you and receiving the light, the pardon, the offer of new life that you give us. Lord, what good news it is that you love us. Thank thank you, God, for, for not just bringing judgment, but bringing your salvation. Lord, we pray for for your good news to continue to take root in our heart, root in this church, root in this city, God, that you would continue to change us and move us towards your plan for our lives. Lord, we praise you and thank you in all of these things and in all ways. In the name and power of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.